0: I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, The Layperson's Guide to Enjoying Music's Benefits. Our guest today is Dr. Nina Krauss, Professor of Communication Sciences, Neurobiology, and Otolaryngology at Northwestern University. She is a scientist, inventor, and amateur musician who uses hearing as a window into brain health. She uses the principles of neuroscience to improve human communication and advocate for best practices in education, health, and social policy. Welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, Dr. Krauss. Thank you. You have done extensive research on sound processing in the brain and also music's relationship to brain health. Our conversation today is focused on how the sound processing involved in being a musician affects listening and language skills. We all know that the actual words we speak are a small part of the communication experience. There is so much meaning in the way the words are communicated, the tone of voice, if there's sarcasm involved. That's why it's so easy for emails and texts to be misunderstood. We need those emojis to add some emotional cues to our words. Another classic example of emotion and tone communicating more than words is a baby crying. The baby's parents can tell by the cry whether their baby is in pain, hungry, or tired, even though there's no actual words being said. Tell us about some of the research you've done on how being a musician affects our ability to process the sound of human language and communication.
1: Sure, with great pleasure. Um, First of all, let's talk about what we mean by being a musician, Um, My definition of being a musician is not necessarily a professional musician. In fact, uh, I'm most interested in people who uh, just have music as a part of their life. They make music as a part of their life. Mm,
0: Great distinction.
1: They can be, you know, hack musicians like me who play every day a little bit. Generally in our studies, a musician uh, is someone who regularly plays music um, maybe even as little as twice a week for a half an hour, so it's it's the regular engagement with making music. and also in our work, you know I'm, I'm frequently asked, uh, what about listening to music? You know we all know that we listen to music a lot, uh, whether we want to or not. I, somebody uh, recently came up with a number saying that fourteen percent of our day is spent listening to some kind of music, you know, whether you're at an airport or uh, a lobby somewhere. But the kinds of fundamental changes in the nervous system, in the brain that happen in our experience, it happens if you actively make music. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when I'm asked that question, I give the analogy of you are not going to become physically fit watching sports. (laughs) Unfortunately. Unfortunately. (laughs) <laughs> that said, you know, you, you started out saying that there is so much music in language, which, of course, there is. And there, there are many examples. I, every year on, on Martin Luther King Day, I listen to his uh, I Have a Dream speech mm-hmm. with my husband. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we listen to it. And, you know, if I were to be just reciting those words, um, you'd be fidgeting. You'd be looking at your watch so much of the message that Dr. King put across came across with his rhythm and with his music of speech.
0: Mm, So there was an actual, just kind of that cadence of his speech. Oh, interesting. Now, one of your articles that I read, or some of the research that you were involved in, said, sound is air in motion. We all know that sound moves our hair cells But sound moves us in other ways too. Hearing is coupled with feeling and cognition is involved in hearing. Musicians provide an excellent model to study auditory learning because making music integrates hearing, thinking, and feeling. And of course, listening to and playing music trigger the limbic networks throughout the brain. A lot of your research has been done with musicians, is that right? Yes, it's been done with musicians and musicians defined as I am
1: defining them. The
0: amateur you know, musicians. So I'm am,
1: I'm not talking about professional musicians for the most part.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm sure. talking
1: about amateur musicians. You know, we also keep track of uh, how much music a person makes and, how, you know, how long they have been playing music. And, and we've, we've looked at those variables and, you know, have been able to see that the more you make music and the longer you make it, the greater the effect on the nervous system.
0: Mm. What about the age at which you begin study? Is that a big factor?
1: Well, it's a factor. But on the other side of that is there's plenty of evidence that beginning at a later age, um, you know, we've done work in adolescents who have never had any music instruction, never played an instrument until high school where there was actually a music program brought into their school system. And, you know, when we saw profound changes in in the nervous system in in the kids who played music compared to kids who did other forms of enrichment, Mm -hmm. there's also plenty of scientific evidence to show that there are behavioral and brain changes, even if you start playing a musical instrument when you're very old. Mm. Um, You know, again, a very basic principle of learning is that the nervous system continues to change Mm -hmm. with our experience until that organism dies. So the, the short sound bite is it's never too late.
0: Okay. Is it possible to describe in like 60 seconds, just kind of distill for us lay people, how you measure sound processing in the brain when you do your research?
1: Absolutely. I would be so glad to do that. And also, I'd like to take this opportunity to have your listeners have a look at our website, which is www.brainvolts.northwestern.edu. It is a labor of love. We update it almost every day, and it's really there for, for you and your listeners. Um, we have a lot of information on it, and I, I encourage you to begin by taking the website tour, which you'll find uh, an icon on the home page.
0: Mm-hmm. And that website, too, I have to say, is very accessible for those of us lay people. Um, it's laid out really nicely. And for those of us who aren't professional researchers, it's really easy to find your way around and find really fascinating information.
1: Yeah, thank you. i I'm, I'm especially interested in communicating our little discoveries to the broader world and and not necessarily to specialists.
0: Mm -hmm. But,
1: you know, you asked, how do we measure sound processing in the brain? And the reason I brought up the website is because on the homepage there is an icon that says demonstration of our biological approach. And there you will find a two or three minute video that explains what we do. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you about it. As I'm talking to you now, the neurons in your brain that respond to sound are producing electricity electricity is the currency of the nervous system and if i put electrodes so scalp electrodes on your head i can measure your brain's response to sound now your response to sound is going to be different from my response to sound and from everyone else's response to sound because the way that our brain responds to sound is shaped by our experience with it.
0: And when you say measuring the brain's response to sound, does that show up as a wave on a screen? How does that, how do you measure? That's exactly
1: right. Okay. The participants generally are sitting comfortably. They can be lying down. They often have them in a nice big, comfortable chair. uh, And we have earbuds delivering sounds that we have very carefully crafted. Uh, So they're listening to these sounds and we're measuring how the brain responds to these sounds. And the, the person is generally not performing any kind of a task. Uh, sometimes to keep them entertained, we have them watch a caption video. But what you know, what we're often very interested in is what is a person's default response to sound based again on their life in sound. So, you know, the languages we speak, the music we make if you have linguistic deprivation, all of that is going to affect how your brain responds to sound. So yes, if I'm measuring your brain's response to sound, you will be looking at voltages, you will be looking at electrical patterns on a screen, and you will be able to analyze those responses and learn about a particular person's nervous system and how their nervous system responds to this collection of sounds. I mean, we, you know, we, we measure the brain's response to all kinds of sound, but we're especially interested in how the brain responds to speech mm-hmm. because, you know, speech is obviously a very important for us in our communication mm-hmm. and many things, including musical experience, will impact how the brain will respond to speech. Mm-hmm. So th- this gets to your, your question of musical experience and speech and language. You know, it, it may not be surprising if you play music that your brain will respond in a more enhanced way to music. What is maybe not so obvious and something that has been shown repeatedly, and, you know, we've shown this a lot in in our lab, which we call Brain Bolts, many mm. others have, have shown that musical experience will affect how the brain responds to speech sounds. Yeah, talk to us about that. The implications are enormous in that one's musical experience and, and why music education is so important is that learning how to play an instrument or, and voice counts affects how the brain responds to all kinds of sounds and will certainly help a child as he develops his language skills, as uh, he or she learns to read. So music education is very important for developing a healthy brain and a brain that will be effective at communicating through sound.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a couple real specific things that your research has shown that people with music training are more sensitive to in regards to speech. One of them is they're more sensitive to the emotion in all sounds, which makes sense because musicians are conveying emotion in their playing, like you said, whether it's voice or a different instrument. And the way we do that is made up of so many very subtle, nuanced changes in timing and volume, different pedals that can be used for pianists, and other instruments have the equivalent. So that that makes sense that musicians would be more attuned to emotion in language. Yeah, let
1: me talk about that for a, a minute. Sound consists of a number of ingredients, like pitch, timing, timbre, how loud it is. And sound in general is our underappreciated sense because it is invisible. So compare vision. vision. Um, if I'm holding an object, like I'm holding this pen right now, um, it has a certain shape, texture, color, and these are ingredients that make up this object that I'm holding. Now, sound also is made up of ingredients. Uh, They are more subtle, they're more abstract, because they are invisible. But these ingredients are very discernible to musicians and to scientists. You can measure them very clearly. You can look at pitch and timing and timbre, the harmonics in sound. And with respect to what we might call the musician signature, What we find is that people who actively make music have strengthened processing of the harmonics in sound. They have strengthened processing of various timing elements and uh, strengthened processing of rapid changes in pitch over time, so frequency over time. So, for example, what frequency modulation means is that uh, you have a frequency sweep, for example, um, you know, from low to high, woo or woo okay. And so, so they're, they're these rapid changes in frequency over time. And it turns out if you deconstruct the acoustics of a speech sound, as you transition from a consonant to a vowel, say, g, ga, or ba, an important acoustic ingredient is the change in the harmonics in those sound frequencies over time. Um, They happen very quickly, and this is something that the musician brain is especially good at, and you can imagine how it is important in making sense of
0: speech. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. One other factor that your research points to, and this is a little bit harder for me to get my mind around, that the musicians brain is better at picking out the relevant portions of the sound kind of like an engineer at a mixing board can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah and and
1: you know we see this especially we did a, a study looking at the emotional components of sound so you know we were able to access sounds from a lab that actually that studies emotion and they had created a number of of sounds like babies crying and screams, and they were able to determine which sounds actually elicited emotional responses for the most part in in people. So, you know, we wanted to use these sounds and measure the brain's responses to emotional sounds. And one that we studied a lot was a a baby's cry. Now, if you look at the acoustics of a baby's cry, there is the, the pitch of the cry, and there is also these very rapid changes in timing and harmonics that very much convey the meaning. If my baby's crying. Is this a bullshit cry? Should I just let him sleep? Or should I, you know, should I get up? Or should I, would we both be happier tomorrow <laughs> if I let him cry? Mm-hmm. Or you know, does my baby need me? Do I need to get up? And uh, people who have musical experience are really much better at processing the emotional part of the cry. Mm. So, you know, imagine you can take the cry and divide it up into portions that are, um, you know, very acoustically complex and that carry this meaning of, am I just crying because I want attention and I'm lonely or am I crying because I'm in some kind of pain? Uh-huh. And you know, this information exists in the sound wave and you can see that the people with musical experience are their brains will respond more forcefully, more accurately, more vigorously to these components of the sound, mm-hmm. whereas the non-musicians actually respond more vigorously to some of the simpler portions of sound Uh, known as the fundamental frequency, which is just associated with the pitch of the sound. And I'm anthropomorphizing here, but it it is as though the nervous system of the non-musicians is locking on to the one part of the sound that they can process well and they can understand because they are not able to process the sound details, whereas the musicians who are processing the sound details really need to expend less neural energy and less neural resources processing the simple
0: stuff. Sure. This sounds really similar to a recent guest uh, we had on the show who does music therapy with kids with autism, not just kids, but adults as well. And she was talking about the part of the brain that acts as a gateway or kind of a filter So that when you are in, say, a crowded cafeteria and you're trying to talk to your friend, you can filter out other people's voices and really focus on your friend's voice and how that's really difficult for people with autism to do. And you're kind of talking about a similar function of the brain. I can imagine that music training would be really helpful for people with autism.
1: Sure. And there's beautiful evidence showing that some children on the autism spectrum um, who may not be interested in communicating with you uh, using speech are very interested in engaging in a musical conversation.
0: Mm, sure. Well, and back to The Baby Crying, your your work has been referenced by countless authors and, and professionals. One book that kind of caught my attention that does refer to your work is Brain Rules for Baby, How to Raise a Smart and Happy Child from Zero to Five. The author is Dr. John Medina, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correct, a molecular biologist. And he he posits that it's possible to help our children learn to be more empathetic by involving them in music training. Yeah, I mean, I think
1: that that um, to the extent that if you can understand if your brain, especially if your brain automatically through your learning, if your brain automatically responds to um, the emotional details that are contained in a sound wave. The the logical extension is that you will be more aware of the emotions in the sound that you're hearing.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, one final quote of yours that I want to mention, brilliant statement that I saw in one of your videos on your website. You said, probably the healthiest thing we can do for our brains is to make music. Love that. How can listeners learn more about your work and connect with you? I know you mentioned the Brain Volts website, and actually, I'll I'll include a link to that. You also have links on that site to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram handles as well, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. But okay. you know, I really
1: I, so much information is on that website. If you hit the the panel that says music, mm-hmm. and it will take you to your music page there are so many videos and lectures. There, there's a lot of information available as well as each one of our, of our research topics has a slideshow that's associated with it. So what we've done is we've created a slideshow with you know just kind of a handful of slides for each topic that condenses years of work mm-hmm. into a picture and a line of text so that you can get an overview of what we're doing at BrainVaults. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, if you're interested in the details, you can download all of the research articles.
0: Mm-hmm. When I went to that projects drop-down menu and clicked on music and saw all of that, I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm like a kid in a candy store.
1: <laughs> but you know, if you look at our website, you will see that we study all kinds of things. So you'll see reading, aging, hearing and noise, rhythm, bilingualism. Mm. And we look at at concussion and head injury. So you you might look at these panels on our homepage and and think, what the heck do they do at Brain Bolts? And the overarching theme, the overarching focus is sound and the brain. Mm. And I, I think the fact that there are so many different topics that are encompassed in this idea of sound and the brain is... testament to the power of sound and to its enormous force in so many different aspects of our lives. And again, it is written and it is put together for um, a non-specialized audience, Mm -hmm. and, and it is put there with the intention of doing exactly what you're interested in doing, which is communicating what we know. And, you know, there's so much, much, much more we don't know. But we do know a couple of things. And we, you know, I think that speaking as a biologist, there is converging biological evidence that certainly makes me have the opinion that making music is one of the healthiest things you can do for your brain.
0: Love that. I ask all my guests to give listeners what I call an improv, which is a try this at home, a hack and experiment that will enhance listeners lives with music. Do you have a recommendation today for listeners?
1: I do. A number of years ago, uh, actually it that long ago, it was 2018, I hosted a uh, music therapy conference here at Northwestern because I, I was at that time didn't know that much about music therapy and wanted to learn more about music in medicine as it's used. And so um, so we had you know, some of the, the, the world's leaders come to Northwestern to speak. And by the way, you can go to our music page and on the left side banner, uh, you can find the music therapy conference and click on each of the lectures that were recorded. Mm. Uh, so we had people talk about autism and uh, motor disorders like Parkinson's, memory disorders like dementia. But so I, I put this thing together, and I was riding my bike into work, and I, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to have to say some introductory comments. And I had just finished my my morning ritual. So my morning routine: I get up in the morning, and morning is not often the very best time for me, just in terms of my mood and my my hopefulness. I'm with you. (laughs) But but I have made it a point in the last couple of years, I've made it a point to sit down at the piano every day and to play um, as little as five minutes. Mm. You know, if I'm I'm lucky today, I played for about 45 minutes. Mm. But just touching those keys and making those notes and those sounds, um, even for just a couple of minutes, changes my whole perspective. And by the time I do get on my bike and ride to work, um, I feel like God is in his heaven and all is right in the world. Mm. And as I told that group of people who had come to learn about music and music and medicine, I I said, well, I I realized this is, you know, what I do every day. This is music therapy. Mm, So I encourage, I encourage everyone to make music. And you don't have to you know, just sing. Everyone can sing. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, sing, bang on drums. Ideally, learning to make music will be a good thing, but we can all make music. So that would be my, my recommendation is however, you know, for every person who's listening to this, for them to think about, okay, well, what could I do? I, you know, I could sing to my baby. I could sing to my grandbaby.
0: Yeah, well, in in doing that improv too, you get the immediate benefit of starting your day off right and probably improving your your mood and your perspective. But then you also get that long-term benefit of what we've been talking about during the rest of this conversation in terms of uh, all the other benefits that come along with the experience of making music. I think that's right. Yeah. Well, one other question for you. I asked my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending. I call it a coda by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. I know we have a video that we'll be sharing with listeners. Listeners will get to listen to the audio of the video and I'll have the actual video posted on the show notes if you would like to see the uh, visual as well. Tell us about the video that we're going to be listening to.
1: Yeah. So... I, I'm so lucky in that I, I get to, to learn, and I get paid to learn, and I get to um, learn about sound. And so, you know, part of my learning involves going to conferences where I talk to people who teach me a lot. And this was a, maybe a year or two ago, I was at a conference in Sweden, and it was a conference on, on learning through sound, auditory learning. And, you know, as often happens at these conferences. They have a conference dinner and they had some musicians, some local people that they had called for the entertainment. And at some point, I, I don't really even know how it happened, but I, I often, you know, go around with, uh, with the harmonica.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and someone knew that I had one and, uh, and suggested, you know, why don't I play with, um, with this band?
0: So you just happen to have it on you. Yeah,
1: I mean, okay. I, I pretty much always travel with. Um, I, mean, I got one in C and in G. I mean, actually, I have every single key, okay. but I just travel with usually just G. Okay. Uh, and so actually, this was in, in G, and um, and so I, I just got up there and and, and jammed a little bit.
0: Uh huh.
1: And you know, it was a familiar song. Was knocking on heaven's door. And and it was just fun, you know. And this Uh is you can see, you know, you should watch the video. I mean, you can see how (laughs) I'm really not taking myself seriously at all. Um, But how how much fun, you know? How great is that? You know, again, you know, like you can be, you can make music. I mean, I I play a couple of instruments, not especially well, as you will hear, um, but with great joy,
0: sir love that. Well, here is Dr. Nina Krause's improvisation on harmonica. Mama, take
1: knocking on heaven's door.
0: For joining me today, I'll be here again next Tuesday with some answers to a common question parents have when their child is taking music lessons. New this week: if your business would like to advocate for music and music education, you can now do so by supporting Enhanced Life with Music. There is a new link on my website called "Support the Show," found on mpetersonmusic.com/podcast. All funds go directly into covering the costs of producing the podcast and are recognized within episode mentions of your business or organization and placement of your logo and link in episode show notes. For more information, click the support the show button or visit patreon.com slash enhance life music. Show notes for today's episode are located at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 27. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.